What is our series? Our series is entitled, We Have Seen His Glory. Those are verbatim words from John chapter 1. John says, we have seen his glory. The glory of Christ in the gospel of John. And for today's sermon, it is signs, wine, and glory. And I bet you can guess what passage, what story this is. This is Jesus turning water into wine. John chapter 2. Let me tell you where I'm going with this sermon. And what does this have to do with our theme? The story ends with this verse. It ends with John saying, This, the first of his signs... Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Jesus turns water into wine and John calls it a sign, his first sign. And he said he manifested his glory. I got to tell you, a lot of times in the Bible, when you hear of glory being seen, being manifested, There's light, there's luminescence, maybe fire, when glory appears, but not here. Not here. So John, what are you talking about? Jesus' glory shown when the water is turned into wine. To begin to answer that, I want to tell you something about a, a podcast I listen to sometimes. It's about football, NFL football. And about three days after a game, like Wednesday after a Sunday game, they have this section in the episode called Upon Further Review. And maybe you've heard of an NFL official saying that after a video replay, Upon Further Review. And they do it in the podcast three days or so after the game, after the game is kind of sunk in. And you reflected on it. And maybe here's some statistics that really revealed to you what the game was about. You might not have realized it at the time, but here's what it was about. Upon further review, boom. John's gospel is kind of like that. He showed his glory when he turned water into wine. Another example, my favorite musical is Fiddler on the Roof. I heard an interview with one of the persons who was involved with the initial creation of that musical. All the original uh, lyrics and I guess also the, the lines for the actors. And they said, we had to figure out what was this story about? And they came to the conclusion that it's about the world changing and being in tension with traditions. You got things changing, but then you got old traditions and there's a tension. And so they have a song, Tradition. Because they reflected on, upon further review, what that story was about. And this is what John is about of the four Gospels. The one that has this sign of decades of spirit-led reflection on what was this about. And John says, he didn't just do a miracle, he did a sign. And it showed us his glory. Let's go ahead and read this passage and try to unpack these things. 
This is John chapter 2. If you're using our black Bibles here that we've provided, it's page 887. 887. John 2, starting at verse 1, what I now read to you are the words of the living God. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 12, 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Let me start off by saying there are some things in this passage I can't answer. Maybe you have these questions. Actually, one I can answer is he calls his, Jesus calls his mom woman. That's not offensive. I know it sounds offensive in our ears. It's not back then. It's respectful. But there's other ones I can't answer. Like, for instance, did, G- did Mary know her son was going to do a miracle? I mean, she knows that he's going to do something helpful, right? She involves him. Did she know it was going to be a miracle? I don't know for sure. Another one I don't know for sure is Jesus saying, my time has not, not yet come. But then he goes ahead and does the miracle. Right? What does that mean? Does that mean his time came right after he said that? Or how to resolve that? There's been a number of different solutions. He certainly has a timetable in mind. Jesus knows a timetable. That's clear. Um, But what he exactly is doing with that timetable has been answering different ways in this passage. And then finally, the master of the banquet says, usually you bring out the good wine first. You're bringing it out last. Is that a rebuke? What are you doing? You should have brought out this stuff first. I think it's a rebuke. I'm not completely sure. Some people have thought it's a compliment. It's like, wow, I thought the first wine was good. This is even better. Good job. I don't know. What I do want to talk about is the things I'm more sure of. Signs, wine, and glory. Let's start with signs. So that concluding verse did not say miracle. It said sign. This, the first of his signs. Not miracles. Now, miracle 
is the word preferred by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Or at least, that's our English translation of the word that they used, a Greek word called dunamis. Dunamis, you could see the word dynamite or dynamic from there. And it really refers to power, a work of power, even exceptional power. We kind of like the word miracle even today as moderns, and I'm one of them, that we kind of think naturally of this world with natural laws like the law of gravity. And if somebody breaks or someone can suspend the law of gravity, that's a miracle. That's supernatural power. We think of a power that exceeds even the laws of nature. Miracle. But upon further review, John likes this word sign. The the power actually recedes into the background a little bit. It's still a miracle. But what comes in the foreground for John is that this was a sign. The word sign comes from semeon in the Greek. Maybe you've heard of the word semiotic or a field of academic study of symbols and, and signs. Semiotics coming from this word. It's a sign. And the raw power recedes into the background just a little bit. And what comes to the foreground is it's a sign of something. It means something. Each of his miracles are signs. Well, signs of what, John? And to get into that, we have to get to wine. What most of this story is about. Wine. So number two, let's talk about wine. Now, I always feel bad for you who don't like wine. Because if most people think water to wine is an upgrade. Actually, I heard Bob say he was uh, Greg 2.0. I'm a software guy. You know, I think 2.0 is an upgrade, right? Off of 1.0. And wine is considered to be an upgrade by most people. And certainly back then, water is even kind of dirty sometimes. They didn't always have clean water. But it's tasteless otherwise. Wine. Well, that's a special treat. Wine is often a sign of abundant, fruitful life in the scripture. Abundant, fruitful life. And I tell you, if you run out of it at a wedding reception, this is bad. This is very bad. Another cultural distance from us. Uh, Why would it be that bad? Well, back then... The receptions for weddings ran days, sometimes a week. I've heard sometimes more than a week. Has anyone ever been to a reception that lasts days? Maybe in another culture, maybe. I have never. Maybe it's because they respected marriage so much and they wanted to celebrate it. Or maybe it's because a lot of them traveled hard, long distances. And as long as they did that, let's stick around for a long celebration. But this was so important that I even read in one commentary that if the groom's family did not have adequate provisions for this long reception, there could actually be legal troubles, legal troubles. 
Maybe with the bride's family, I'm assuming. This is a big deal. So now you can see what's behind Mary. And maybe she's connected to the groom's family saying, they ran out of wine. We have an issue. And wine at a reception is supposed to be exactly what I have here. A sign of abundant, fruitful life. We'll come back to marriage in a moment. But it's a celebration. And it's a sign of hopefully what marriage is. In scripture, I say there's examples of this. Let me give you two here. The most famous one about wine is from Psalm 104. Wine to gladden the heart of men. Wine is given to gladden the heart of men. But my favorite one on wine as a positive sign of abundant, fruitful life. Listen to this. This is from Isaiah 25. How important is this passage I'm going to read? It's about the end. Same kind of stuff you'll hear in the book of Revelation. About death being swallowed up forever. You're going to hear that. And of every tear being wiped away. And in this picture of this glorious end, you'll hear about wine. Twice. Let me read it to you from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Listen to this. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. What a positive, incredible image to include wine twice. Now, I've known many Christians, and maybe this is you, who grew up in a church where wine or any kind of alcoholic beverage was not allowed. And then sometimes they become Presbyterian later in life. Or they read the Bible and they see these positive references to alcohol, uh, wine, and they say, hey, I can drink with a clear conscience, and I do drink occasionally, and I get it. I'm one of you. However, I do have a warning here. Don't get cocky. Don't get nonchalant about alcohol. Can I just ask you? If you feel comfortable raising your hand, how many of you have a family member whose life has been devastated by alcohol? If you feel comfortable raising your hand, yeah. Scripture says this too. Not only the positive, but the danger. Proverbs 20 verse 1. I'll give you two for these, this, this theme too. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. We know how it can tempt people to... A fight, you know, a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And one more from Habakkuk 2.5. Wine is a traitor. An arrogant man who never is at rest. His greed is as wide as the grave. Like death, he never has enough. Now, I give you both sides of this because this is so relevant 
That on one side, this is a sign of abundant, fruitful life. And I'll return to that. It's positive in this passage. On the other hand, we have such a temptation as humans just to reduce it to immediate pleasure. To reduce it just to immediate pleasure and saying, oh, that's all I need. And keep pressing that button again and again and again and again. I'll never forget. A man who talked about his first time using an illegal narcotic. And he said, as soon as the high hit me, I thought to myself, this is all I need. This is all I need. And the irony is he never returned to that high, right? It diminishes. And what is, in the case of wine, at least, what is a sign Of abundant, fruitful life actually can slowly take it away from you. Slowly erode your life as it's seized for immediate pleasure. This is all I need. That's actually language of idolatry. Idol. All I need is this God to bless me. This stone or this wood or this career. Or this physical pleasure, or this person, or this angel, or this demon. That's all I need is this one thing. Not God, but what he created. Something else. This thing is all I need. Since we have Alistair next week. Who's part of the biblical counseling movement. I thought I'd share on this topic from our brother Ed Welch. Ed was a part of us. Here for many years and part of one of the leading lights in the biblical counseling movement. And he wrote a book and boy, could he name books. Addictions, a banquet in the grave. Addictions, a banquet in the grave. Listen to what he says. Addictions are ultimately a disorder of worship. Have you ever thought about that? Addictions, a disorder of worship. We worship our desires over God. We desire the things of earth more than the one who rules it. This being so, Christian worship, the worship of the true God is the true deepest need for addicts. As it is for all people. It is during worship that we are the most fully human. I don't think he just means Sunday morning, but worship also in a broader sense. As we worship, the spirit changes us. Sometimes this change is the more ordinary, imperceptible and gradual change. At other times, worship changes us more dramatically. Either way, when our hearts are pointed toward the risen Christ, we can't help but be changed in some way. Addictions are ultimately a disorder of worship. How about that? But let's go back to the good side here. Wine, a sign of abundance and a fruitful life. And it's associated with marriage here. Marriage, which literally has the word fruitful from the very beginning. When God says to the first married couple, be fruitful and multiply. And of course, wine is from a fruit, fruit on the vine, as it says in scripture, be fruitful and multiply wine with a marriage. This is actually supposed to be a great and enjoyable sign of abundant, fruitful 
life. Upon further review, this is not just an arbitrary miracle, a display of power. And maybe let me just say a couple words about that. You can imagine a miracle that's about power, but not really a sign. What if somebody would throw a Frisbee a mile? That's amazing. That's amazing power, but I don't know what it signifies. I have no idea. Or if somebody just uproots a bunch of trees with power, boom, 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 or they make things blow up, that's amazing, that's a miracle, but I don't know what it means. And John says, no, this is a sign. Wine. From tasteless, ordinary water. It's a sign of what Jesus is bringing. He says it later, and I have a slide on this verse. There's one more verse I want to make sure you saw with your own eyes here on the next slide. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not merely scratching by. Getting by in this life, living from hand to mouth, or whatever symbol you can think of, bare living. I have come that you and me, Jesus says, might have abundant life. And you see it with this fine wine that he brings out of water. And a beautiful thing we call a wedding. A sign of abundance and fruitfulness. This is what Jesus came to bring. And so that takes my third and last point. Glory. John says in verse 11. This is the first of his signs. Signs again. Which Jesus did in Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Manifested his glory. We don't see light. We don't see fire. Glory, when it appears, you see it light and it's penetrating light. It could be light that incinerates you. Perfect Godness in light, glory. When Jesus is transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, some of his glory is revealed, and James and John and Peter fall down. We don't see that here, John. How are you using the word glory? Upon further review, you use the word glory. What are you meaning by that? The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for glory is kavod. It's not only used in the sense of glory, but in the sense of, and this might surprise you, weighty. Something that is weighty. Of substance, it's substantial, it's real, it's not hollow, it's not shallow. I remember the first time I got at Easter a chocolate bunny. Looked like the biggest piece of chocolate I ever saw that I bit into, it was hollow. Or those gumballs, 25 cents, it's a huge gumball, it's hollow. And this word kavod, something that's weighty. Of substance. The farmers throwing 
the wheat into the air. What gets blown away? The chaff. It's not weighty. It's not the real deal. And this idea of glory is that when you get to God and his glory, now you're dealing with the weightiest reality out there, the real deal. Substance. And he's saying Jesus is weighty. Not just that he was a man of miraculous power. That's true. But he does signs. And these signs tell you even more when you understand what they mean of the weightiness of the substance of what he's doing and what he's bringing. This guy with divine miraculous powers and he does not use them to enrich himself. He's not a two-bit politician who uses power to line his own pockets. Or like the kings of Old Testament time where they're warned by Moses, don't use your power to increase to yourself as many women as you like. Solomon did that. Pleasures, immediate pleasures. This is my ticket to immediate pleasures or to get as rich as possible or to grab people's children as my servants to make the finest breads and whatever suits my fancy. Jesus comes. Not only with his power, but what he does with it is a sign of his character. It's a sign of his mission. He came to bring an abundant life. To bring to you, to bring to me, an abundant and fruitful life. And you see that with this first sign. Wine. Which is rich to the taste. And for the enjoyment of of, of this marriage celebration with others, he came For that kind of thing, even even the greatest celebration when death itself will be swallowed up. And every tear will be wiped from their eyes and there's this image of wine associated with that. Jesus is bringing that. I've said this many times and I'll say it again. All his miracles are for others. All his miracles are to bring blessing. To humans, Moses had the calling to do miracles of wrath. And the Egyptians would agree. Miracles of judgment. They were miracles of salvation, but also judgment. And that's what Deuteronomy says at the very end. That's what Moses did. And then Jesus comes. And thank God, his calling, his mission was different. To bring wine. To bring healing, to to raise the dead, to bring blessing. They're each a sign of the blessing to sinners. Let me end by saying this. Both this sermon and last sermon was about water. They were about water. Last week, John the Baptist bringing baptismal waters that water to cleanse. And I asked you, in your heart of hearts, do you believe you need to be cleansed? Beyond that pedestrian admission that all Americans do, I'm not perfect. But beyond that, no, there's something wrong with me. I'm dirty. If you knew my heart, 
you'd see it's motivated. But I do deceive when it suits me. I do things that I don't want to admit. And if anyone saw the complete videotape of my life and thoughts, yeah, I need cleansed. And John the Baptist and Jesus both preached a a baptism that doesn't just say, get better. It says, here's water to clean you. A symbol, a sign again. To clean those who know they're dirty. Right? And now you get to water this week. And it's even better in some ways. Where it's tasteless water. We need it to live, but it's nothing exciting. And Jesus turns it into wine. Wine, a symbol of the abundant, fruitful life. Not of addiction, of immediate pleasure that if you just isolate it to that and you keep pressing that button to get immediate pleasure, immediate pleasure, it keeps declining and you think you're using it and in the end, you become a slave to it. I forgot to say this earlier. I went down to Kensington one time and I heard what they would say the addicts, I got to go get well. A euphemism, I'm going to go take a hit. But what a horrible euphemism. That I don't feel well now. It's not a high. I just want to get back to normal. I want to feel well. And I can't do it without a needle. That's a horrible place to be. And that seeking of immediate pleasure, all I need is this one thing. That's not what Jesus is offering. He's saying, I'm what you need, that one thing, God. And I bring wine. As some have said, Tim Keller and others, I am the Lord of the wine. I bring the feast. I wipe away every tear. I'm going to swallow up death one day. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just water, but wine. So that's the question for you this week. Do you want that? This life is still difficult. Jesus will say that. Doesn't mean everything is immediately perfect. We're waiting for perfection. But nonetheless, that abundant life in form begins that moment you believe. And see his glory. And believe in him. Let's go to prayer now. And if you've never heard this before, that you can be cleansed from your sins, and now that he's not just offering a fresh start, he's offering abundant life forevermore. Let's pray that that might be made clear to you, and you might embrace the Lord for the first time. Let's pray. Lord, we turn to you now, and I want to pray for any heart who never heard this before, never really understood it before, that not only you cleanse sinners, dirty sinners like us, but you also came to offer us the richest, the abundant life in you. Would you make that clear to hearts now? And would you draw hearts to you to accept this, to, to run and embrace it, Lord? And now, Lord, we sing to you and to your glory. Amen.